Good morning, friends. I am not Lauren. No, but wasn't she fabulous? Wasn't she amazing? Yeah, she was pretty incredible. She also told me in no uncertain terms that she's really glad that I missed last week and not this week. So I don't know what that means. Marriage, parenting, slavery, what's the problem with that? Couldn't go wrong, right? I'm going to pray for us, and while I'm praying, my friend Antoinette's going to make her way to the stage and share with us. So will you pray with me? Father God, um, it's big. This is big. Um, Paul's words this week were big, and, and it is not lost on me or anyone in this room that those are painful words to some of us. Um, some of us in this room are walking through hairy, crazy, hard things. Some of us have walked through crazy, hard things, but Lord, um, you are in the middle of it. You're in the middle of every single life in this room, whether we acknowledge that or not. And so, Father, we just ask today that, um, that we feel your presence in the midst of our struggles, in the, in the memory of our struggles, and in the struggles that are to come. And God, will you just give us firm foundation to stand on? And we thank you so much that you love us enough to give us direction. You love us enough to share with us hard truths that... That, that the world is not willing to share with us. And so, God, um, we come to you today humbled. We come to you today open. And we pray that you um, make yourself very clear to us. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to meet today and talk about this amazing letter. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, look, my friend magically appeared. Look, there she is. Um, guys, this is my friend Antoinette. Patrick, and she is going to share with us from her perspective what God showed her this week um, in the SOAP study. And so the first question I want to ask you, well, I want to ask you this first. I didn't do this to you last night. What's your favorite color? No, not what's your favorite color. I don't care what your favorite color is. Um, have you ever studied like this before? Or have you always done studies that are like questions? What's your history with this type of study? Um, this is my, uh-oh. Are we on? Are we on? Are we on? Yes. This is my first time doing soap, and I will never study any other way. Hmm. I absolutely love soap. That's awesome. I'm telling everyone. Good. <laughs> I'm making my husband do it. <laughs> making your husband. Boy, that sure is pivotal little piece of information this week. Y'all can take notes. Y'all can write that down. Um, awesome. I love that. I love that this has been so impactful for you. Tell us which day of homework you're going to work on or you're going to share with us. I am doing day two. Day two. And so that was everyone's favorite day, right? Everyone's favorite day. I had one friend who's not here, so I can say this, who said, can I skip day two? Because I'm not a husband. I'm like, hello, no, you cannot skip any of it. It's all important. Um, but I love that you're going to share about day two. What was the title that you gave for day two? My title was Love Defined. And before I go into this, it's so funny you started skipping because I plan to skip day two as well. Ooh. <laughs> but truth comes out. We will find out why I didn't skip it. <laughs> day two. Okay. None of us skipped it. We all did it. Um, share with us what scriptures popped out to you, what things on the resource page maybe meant were meaningful to you. Okay, so um, I am a highlighter. Highlighter. She is. Word. It's very I love colorful. Highlighting. But um, I, this is actually the only day that I got to use all three colors, so I was kind of <laughs> excited about that. Um, so I went through the love instructions that God gave the husbands, and the instructions came out to me as give yourself up when he talked about giving yourself up for the church, I mean for your wife. Um, using clean words when he said, washing of water with words. See the best, present in splendor. Forgive. I seen that um, when it said without blemish, forgiveness came to me. Um, and also, because we all belong to God. That's how you, you love because we all belong to God. Because we're all members of his body. Hmm. All right. Awesome. What, um, that was kind of your observation along with the scripture, right? So what application personally came out for you for this day? Which is interesting because those of us who didn't want to do this day are probably like, I got no application. Yeah. So let's hear what he showed you. So my application is actually completely opposite of what you may think <laughs> because I'm not a husband. But God showed me um, about how to deal with a situation I'm going through. Okay, so a little backstory. I, um, I, when I was pregnant with my second child, she um, 
caused a lot of issues um, during my pregnancy. I had five surgeries with her, and I was on a ventilator twice. Um, they always told us before each surgery, you're going to have to choose between her or you. And it was really rough. And I feel that she is still fighting for her life because she, is, um, she has a lot of anger. And even at 17 months old, she's just, she's just her energy is sometimes negative. And it's hard as her mama <laughs> to facilitate that in the best way. And now reading this, um, after I got done with all of my love descriptions, she wrote on my paper. And there's a little mark right here from her. And um, I wrote on top of the mark, love at least like this. Mm -hmm. And I felt like it just brought me full circle to apply all of these things that um, a husband is supposed to do to love his wife, to love at least just like that. And I always, I kept asking, even last night after I shared, God, why am I talking about me? I'm supposed to, this is supposed to be for my husband. And today, um, my friend Jackie shared in our um, small group meeting today, he gave me the answer right before I walked on the stage. <laughs> um, pray this prayer for Elise and Elena, that their husbands love them like this. And I thank you so much for sharing that, Jackie. Mm, that's good. Oh, my goodness. She didn't do this to me last night. Um, <laughs> share your prayer. Okay. My prayer is, Lord, show me how to love like you. The love you show me through my husband is unmatched. I want to love you and others just like that. Show me where I can improve, pouring out your love onto others. Fill me up so I can fill others. Also, Lord, please help me to learn to love, to love Elise, how you ordained me to do when you formed her in my womb. Amen. Thank my friend. Thank you. Appreciate that so much. I should have just called her up here when we got to that part, that day two part, because wow, teach us to love like you love us. That is exactly what um, that section on love is about. If you would, if you haven't already, open your Bibles to um, Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. Last week, like I mentioned, my friend Lauren stepped in because I needed to just go away and go off the grid, and it was super fun, and we had a great time, and um, we went camping. And who loves camping? Who loves camping when it's raining? Yeah, right? What is that about? That happened. I happened a lot. I'll get to that in a little bit. But I had a great week, and I got to rest and chill and be with my husband, which I found very interesting that I returned from a week-long trip camping in the rain with my husband to this lesson. And I'm like, God, you are so funny. He is so funny, isn't he? He's like, yeah, you're going to need to talk about submission and love and all the things because it's, it, was, it was a great week. But coming off of a week like that, it was a great way to be welcomed back. This week, um, well, last week, Lauren talked to us a lot about love, didn't she? She talked to us about how um, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. How much did you love that? Like, if you left with nothing else, I hope you heard that, that the law is fulfilled in love and that that's who God is and that's who his son is and we're to walk in love. This week, we talk about the S word, right? What's the S word? You guys were not enthusiastic about that submission we love it right that's what he's talking about this week he goes off into this these three relationships these functional relationships that involve submission and authority doesn't he he talks about wives and husbands he talks about parents and children and then he talks about um, slaves and slave owners and and it and it was weird because you read through that and I, like, we joke about not wanting to do day two but like there's a lot of it right that we're like can I just skip this can I just skip this well I want to encourage you as we go through this don't take a nap okay because here's the beautiful thing. God doesn't give us his word and say, okay, now part of you listen to this part and the rest of you just cannot. Or part of you, this is for you today. Okay, now the rest of you, it's not. Every word is for every one of us. Every word is for every one of us. And, um, and so what we're going to do today is a little different. Instead of just launching straight into the husband and wife thing, I feel like we need a little padding before we start. Amen? Before we get right into the S word. So we're going to go back a little bit. We're going to look at, uh, we're going to start in chapter 5 and look at verse 18. We're going to talk about drunkenness. No, <laughs> that seems like a good start, right? I don't know. Well, the reason I take us back, 
The reason we go back is because, remember, this is written, a letter written all in one big giant sitting. Like when he handed the letter off, it didn't have chapter numbers and verse numbers. That's for us, for reference. So this is all one continuous thing. And so when we start looking at um, verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands, we need to go backward just a little bit to understand exactly where Paul's taking us. Go back with me to verse 18, and I'm going to read it. Follow along with me. He says this. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual, so- spiritual songs, Excuse me, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And pay attention closely to this verse. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Look, we've got to talk about this first before we go into this other part about submission. Because let me just give you one little piece of information. Submission is not about following rules and following a dictator. Submission is about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and that's what Paul tells us. is like we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, not filled with other things. In this little section right here, he gives us this amazing crux of information. He gives, in 5.18, he gives us a command. The command is from God, and it's be filled with the Spirit. To be clear here, what we need to understand is when he uses the term filled here, he's not saying the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, because you know, and we've talked about this, and Paul's talked about it for like three chapters, amen, that when you accept Jesus as your Savior, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling within you. He's like in you, and you got him, and there's no returns, no takes backs, takesy backsies. It's, he's there, right? This is called, this being filled is actually more in, akin with, with being controlled. So when you see the word filled with the Holy Spirit, don't think he's saying, okay, now invite the Holy Spirit in, because it's not a conscious thing that you get to do. When you've accepted Jesus, that's part of who you are. Thank you, Lord. Amen. He's talking about being controlled by the Holy Spirit. It's an important distinction. Now, what's interesting about that, too, is when you think about being controlled by the Holy Spirit, you got to ask yourself this question. Don't hate me. Write this down, this question. What is my life filled with? What is my life filled with? Write that down. Does my life show evidences of the Holy Spirit? Do I show evidence that the Holy Spirit is active and alive in me, or do I tamp him down and go about living just like everybody else on my Facebook scroll? Well, well, Paul doesn't mess around. He gets really direct. He says here that you need to answer that question. What is your life filled with? And it's going to be shown by evidences. Um, Think about this for a minute. When you go back to the book of John, John 4, chapter, excuse me, yeah, chapter 4, verse 14, that's where John, do you remember when he met that lady at the well? Do you remember when he, like, was meeting this lady and she came to fill her bucket and he's there and it was weird and all these things happened and everything? Well, anyway, Jesus says this, he speaks of living water that will never go dry. Living water that will never go dry. And so when I'm thinking about the Holy Spirit, I'm thinking to myself, I've got access to this living water that will never go dry. What am I doing to obstruct the flow? Well, it's me. If the Holy Spirit is not evidenced in the life that I'm living, I'm the problem, not him, right? So Paul's saying right here in verse 18, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and there's three ways that it's going to evidence itself in your life, three ways. And he says this, number one, in verse 19, joyfulness. That's where, remember, he was talking about singing the hymns and, and stuff like that. He's talking about singing in public and in private. And, and really what he's trying to say is that, and you can write this down, Philippians 4.11, Paul says like this, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. He's saying you need to have joyfulness regardless of your circumstance. The second thing he's saying, the way that we're evidence that we're full of the Spirit, is in verse 20, he says that we're to be thankful. We're to be thankful for who God is, for what he's done, for him sending his son as our savior. That's all unchanging. No matter what the circumstances that you're writing right now, no matter what the things are that happened to you the minute you tried to get out the door this morning, amen, this is unchanging. We can be thankful for these things. That's showing, that's evidence that the Holy Spirit is alive and active in me. And the third thing, which is what we're going to focus on, is the S word. The S word. In verse 21, submission. He's introducing this teaching about authority and submission in the relationship that they have. Submission is foundational to being a Christian, whether we like it or not. 
It's foundational to being a believer of Jesus Christ. The Spirit enables us to do what is not natural, namely to love and submit. Right? Well, that verse 21 is what, what launches us off into the talk of husbands and wives and parents and children and slaves and masters. It, he's launching us into three practical examples about how we're going to see these submissive relationships in our lives. Okay? The first is wives and husbands. Now, the first thing I want to say is um, if you are not a wife or a husband, okay, don't ignore. Don't ignore this. Every word is for every one of us. Sometimes it's hard, right? Sometimes we read things and we're just like, that is just not my thing right now, Lord. I'm going to flip. Well, where's Philippians? Isn't that the book of joy? Let's go, let's go to that. Let's go look at Well, sometimes we got to read things that we don't think are pertinent in our lives. Let me ask you this, and you can raise your hand. It's not going to be awkward. Does anybody know any wives? Raise your hand. Oh, wow, that's weird. Everybody does. Okay. Okay, ready? Does anybody know any husbands? Okay, we're good. So we're all going to pay attention to this part, right? It's relevant. I joke. But it's relevant to us. Verse 22, it starts like this. Our favorite verse of the Bible. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Who has this on a pillow cross-stitched at home? Yeah, right? Okay, cool. Yeah. It's like, what was the other one? There was, oh, there was another one. I don't know. We need to start a pillow making. Okay. The thing I want you to see here is the primary directive to us those of us that are wives, to wives whom you know, if you're not a wife yourself, is to be submissive, the primary directive. Now, jump with me, if you would, over to verse 25. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The primary directive for the husband is to do what? Is to do what? Is to love. Now, stay with me here. This may be hard. Typically... We crave love. Women do, don't we? Wives crave love. Do we not? We do. Check the Hallmark Christmas movie schedule. You know. We love that stuff, right? We crave love. Men desire respect. Would it be a stretch? Could it be that Paul is targeting areas that most likely would be our weaknesses? Could it be that God knew that submission for wives would be hard? Could it be that God knew that loving wives like Jesus loves the church for husbands would be hard? You think? These commands are not meant to be natural and easy. That's not what they are. That's why we need the Holy Spirit, right? Amen? The S word. Okay, we're moving on. Um, one of my one of the commentaries that, that I love put it this way. When you talk about the S word, you, you say a lot of people like really get weird about it. And I know some of you, your faces I can see. You don't know, I can see all of you. But some of your faces are like, I hate this word. Let's move on from that. Okay. This is a great quote. Many things in God's word may cause us to react negatively. Okay, write this down. But always consider the nature of God giving these commands. You may not like the command, but you need to focus on what do you know about the character of God. That's our focus. And sometimes we have to do things because we know that it's right and it's best, right? Because that's who God is. And so when you think about that, when you think about the S word, I want you to consider that, that consider the nature of God. I, um, I think of it more this way. I read um, Beth Moore has a book called To Live as Christ, and it's Paul, and it's really a good book if you get some time in the in-between to read it. And one of the things she talks about, she says, you know, I think about submission. It's like turf issues. It's like, what's your turf and what's my turf? We all have different different jobs, different responsibilities. It's like staying in the church world, or in every world, I guess now. It's trendy to say, stay in your lane. Chris is always out of her lane. Amen, Becky? She's always like, get back in your lane. I've got certain things I'm supposed to do. Turf, lanes, that's what submission is all about. Let me give you an example. I'm gonna show, and I brought show and tell again. Christine, where's that picture? Let's see, there's a picture of, uh, of my Sherpa. Yeah, there he is. Okay, so that's my husband, the back of his neck. There he is. Okay, so this is what we did when we were gone. We went camping, and we went hiking, and we did this thing. Okay, so, but what I want to point out to you, I was thinking through this, and I thought it was so funny. I'm like, oh, my word, I was so submissive on this trip. We went hiking. We went on, like, a really long, like, seven-mile hike, okay? And here's the thing about this one. As you can see, the trail is really narrow. What you can't see at the moment is he's, he's looking down. He has, like, this Garmin GPS thing because we were a little bit lost. I'm not going to lie, tiny bit. Just, don't tell him I said that. Susan, don't tell him. 
I said that. So he's, he's in charge of getting us where we need to go, right? He's the leader. Okay, go to that next page of my shoes. I, gotta, I wanna show you my shoes. Okay, there's my shoes. But here's what I want you to see. Look on either side of my shoes. Do you see what is there? Those cactus, guys, I kept telling Brent, I'm like, these are not suburban cactuses. These are like legit. They have like four inch long things, whatever those things are called. And they're not, you know, like in Lantana, they're like, the, they've pulled off the dangerous part of the cactus. I'm like, I don't even understand that. That's just so weird. It's like genetically modified. I don't know. <laughs> this trail was no joke. These cactus were everywhere. And if, it wasn't like we could walk side by side on the trail. I couldn't help lead. I couldn't co-lead. Or I'd be in the cactus. And there was, there was some cliffs involved, and, and there were some animals, and there was all sorts of stuff going on. But I kept thinking, boy, this is what submission is about. He has a job to do. I have a job to do. His job was to find the path, to lead me on the path, and my job was entertainment. I'm very, very good. He actually said that. He said that in a different way. But... <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, and then show the one picture. I also brought a picture of him putting up the tent in the rain and then me and my job. There's my job. I'm in the car. I'm warm. <laughs> and see him out there. It's like 20 mile an hour winds and it's freezing and everything. But here's the thing. He, I joke about this, but I sent that picture to my kids. I'm like, we're having so much fun, you know. Um, but, but he is so good at doing his job. And, and I try my very best to do my job because it helps him do his job. So while we're camping, he would find the trail and lead the way, and I'd follow and provide entertainment. So that's good. When he'd, we'd get to the campsite, he'd set up and break down the tent and the campsite and everything. But I, before we started, because if I let him do it, it'd be a disaster, I would pack and organize and plan, and I would appreciate him from inside the car. <laughs> I also did that. I waved and things like that. He would unload the heavy things. And because he's really strong and awesome, and he'd, he'd get everything out and set it everywhere, and I'd unpack and set up camp, and I'd cook, and I'd bring the music, and I'd bring the coffee. And he would start the fire, and I'd prepare, and I'd cook. But do you see what I'm saying? Like, I, I, it wouldn't have worked if we were both doing every job. We both had different lanes we needed to be in. Amen? And so for me, it wasn't hard for me to understand submission after we went camping. I, I thought about it. I thought, my jobs mattered. His jobs mattered. There was equal value, but different roles. And so when you think about submission, don't think about it as this negative thing. Think about it as this powerful opportunity to support and love. That's what submission is. And so today, Paul's walking us through all these different ways that we have these submissive relationships. And I am not going to lie, the hardest one is husbands and wives, I think. Because that calls me to do things that are unnatural. Amen? Well, husbands and wives, verse 22, he says... Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. <clears throat> One of the things we need to understand here is when he's saying this, there's a couple of things that submission does not mean, okay? Because the world gets it all messed up and backwards and tries to, I mean, I had somebody say to me this week, one of our leaders said, you know, she's got a friend who talks, she talks to her about Jesus. And you know what her friend said? This is the verse. This is the one. This is why I can't do this. Isn't that heartbreaking? It's heartbreaking because she's hearing lies that the world is telling her she's not listening to truth. Truth says this, submission is not, okay, for the spirit-filled wife, submission is not, it does not mean that men have authority over women in general. It does not mean that. The King James actually of this one verse says, wives, I love this, this version of it, it says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Do you hear that? There's two things to notice there. Number one, it's a choice. It's not the husband's command on the wife. It's the wife's willingness to offer and own that. He didn't tell me, get in the car, woman, while I make the tent. I, I willingly uh, uh, you know, offered to get. <laughs> Very submissive. Um, but it's a choice. It's a choice, isn't it? But the other thing that's important that we understand is that she is to be submissive to her own husband, her own husband. This is not about infer inferiority, and it's not about subjection to men. And, and the world will lie to you and tell you that it is. The world will say to you, that's an archaic way of thinking. Women are just as good as men. Yeah, they are. Go look at um, Galatians 3.28. The word of God says, Paul says this, there is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, equal but different. I challenge you on that. Go out, walk out into this world and face the world and say, no, you're wrong about this, verse 22. 
The other thing that, um, the second thing that a spirit-filled wife, submission does not mean inequality. That Galatians verse lays it out. Paul makes it very clear. It's interesting, in this time, um, women and children, this is very interesting, because women and children would not have been directly spoken to or, or shared commands with or, or even talked about. Honestly, they were just kind of pushed aside. And so the fact that, that Jesus was the first example, he, he honored and revered women and children. But also Paul, in giving these directives, he's giving specific commands and directions to wives and to children, we'll see in just a little bit. That was unheard of. He's speaking to them. He's speaking to us. It's not inequality. The third thing that um, submission is not, it does not mean that wives should worship their husbands. It does not mean that, that wives should, should worship their husbands. The Bible Knowledge Commentary says this. I thought this was a pretty interesting explanation of some of the terminology here. You see there that it says, as to the Lord, talking about being submissive to the husband, as to the Lord. That does not mean that a wife is to submit to her husband in the same way that she submits to the Lord, but rather that her submission to her husband is her service rendered to the Lord. You think of it that way? You're not rendering service to a husband. You're rendering service to the creator of the world, of the universe. Make him a God, and you'll set him up to fail. You set that husband up on a pedestal, he will fall every single time. Do not look for husbands to give you what only Christ can. That is where we mess up sometimes. We try to tell, tell the world we're submissive and sweet and wonderful, but we're setting our husbands up for a failure that the whole world is going to see, and we're asking him to fill some pretty big shoes that we need to be turning to Jesus for. Amen? Don't set him up to fail. The fourth thing that, um, that being submissive does not mean, it does not mean slavery. It does not mean slavery. It, we're to be teammates, not inmates. Amen? You may like that one? We could do a t-shirt that is our next t-shirt. <laughs> Teammates, not inmates. Well, thinking that through, we think about what being submissive is not. Let's talk about what being submissive is. For the spirit-filled wife, submission does mean this. It means being a helper, not hindering. It means helping, not hindering. Ask yourself this question if you're a wife, okay? Am I a helper in everything? Because Paul says it right here. I wish I could find another a translation that would get rid of that one little part. Now, as this is in verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, you ready? Uh, don't cringe. So also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. In everything. Do you wives set your husbands up for failure? If we're being honest with ourselves, do we chop block our husbands? Do we cut them off at the knees? Are we out in public or with our girlfriends and we just kind of let loose and just cut them down to the ground? I think we do that more than we realize. We're not helping, we're hindering. Ask yourself the question. When you're tempted to start taking him down a few notches, ask yourself this, what am I doing? Am I helping or hindering? If, if it's me, if I'm being super honest, I was on a camping trip for seven days, amen, okay? There was moments where I might have chosen to hinder, and it wasn't being helpful. Helping, not hindering. The second thing, a spiritful wife, um, when, when she's being submissive, it does mean supporting and not sabotaging. Supporting and not sabotaging. Do I seek to understand and support my husband? Do I have to always be right? Do you have to always be right? I'm going to challenge everybody in this room, me included, so call me on it if you know me and see me. If it's not critical, don't be right. If it's not critical, don't be right. Now, he was leading me on a trail. If we were walking off the cliff, guys, I'm speaking up, okay? Let's just be clear. But let me tell you this, and again, we don't, we don't speak of this, Susan. We don't speak of this. There was a moment. <laughs> Just being honest because we're in church. Okay, there was a moment on this hike that we followed a little trail down and it started raining and I might have been getting a little more hindering and less helpful, a little more stressed out. We were going down this one little edge and it comes to the edge of this cliff and we're like, whoa, that's not the trail. And so what did we have to do? We had to backtrack up and he pulls out his Garmin thing and he's like, where are we? Where? And he's trying to be cool and lead and, and I'm trying not to, you know, but like um, old Chris, 10 years ago, Chris would have been like, where are we? I'm getting my iPhone out right now. We're going to find out where we are. We're going to, you know, but what I did instead was I thought I have nowhere to be. 
I have no reason to fight him on this and no reason to question him and no reason to be right. Well, except the cliff. That was important. But he corrected that. But it was like this moment where I, I, he doesn't even know it, but I had to step back and go, it's okay. We're going to be just fine. And trust him. And later he said to me, hey, thanks for trusting me when the trail got weird. I'm like, yeah, sure, it was no problem. He didn't know I was having this battle in my mind, right? It's easy for me. Don't be right. Don't be right all the time. Don't take over and steal what's not yours, Chris. The third thing that a spirit-filled wife who's being submissive, what it does mean is this, that I follow, I don't just forge ahead. That I follow, I don't just forge ahead. Um, as a wife, does your conduct drive anybody to Jesus? Does your conduct drive anyone to Jesus when they see how you conduct yourself as a wife with your husband? Let me ask another question. For those of you, and I know you're in here, and I know the numbers are high, who, who either don't have a husband or the husband you have is not a believer, let me ask you, I mean, let me, you're probably asking me, well, this doesn't even make any sense because my husband doesn't even believe. Okay, well, I'm going to share something with you. First Peter 3, 1, and, and you can write this down and you can pray this and you can pray it every day and you can pray it every hour because here's the thing. Wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, that they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. God can do stuff, guys. I've seen it happen. I've got a real good friend who came to know Jesus as her Savior, and then it was years before her husband followed. But you know what? You know what? You can ask him even today, what was it? And he'll say, I saw a change in her life. And that was undeniable. And that was scientific in every sense of the word because there was a change so don't sit in this room and think you can, only be, you can only be submissive to the man that's this godly, amazing, really good trail leader. Because sometimes the leaders in our lives are hard to follow, amen? But I will tell you this, are you helping? Are you hindering? There's going to be ways that Jesus is going to show himself through your conduct as a wife. Not easy. Commands are not easy. If they were, he wouldn't even have to say it. The S word. Who's ready to move on? (laughs) Let's move on to the L word. We like that one. We could all take notes on this one, right? The L word, verse 25. Now Paul directly um, is speaking to the husbands, right? He's directly talking to the husbands. Verse 25. Here's the thing. I'm going to move through this pretty quickly, but this is what you need to understand. And for those of you who are not wives or husbands and have zoned out, I want to clarify something here. This is not something to be missed because this is a vital illustration on how Jesus loves the church. And when I say the church, I mean us. We need to understand this. This is this picture that he's painting for us so that we understand this is the perfect ideal of what God wants for us. So when he talks to the husbands in verse 25, he says, um, which by the way, I want to pause for a second. Like, don't you love, and, and we'll get to this more in a minute when we talk about the children and the parents and the servants, and I mean bond servants and all that. Everybody's in the room. Did you notice? Like, he's not speaking. He's not going, okay, now, wives, I'm going to tell you what your husbands are going to be like so you can take notes at Bible study and go home and rib them about it. No, he's speaking directly to the wives, directly to the husbands, directly to the children. Do you see? So that means everybody's there together. Everybody's listening. I love that. Okay, unpause. All right, 25. He's going to explain to them, husbands, you're to love your wives, like Jesus, loves the church. That's how a spirit-filled husband is to love their wives. There's three specific ways he breaks it out. First is they are to love sacrificially. In verse 25, he says that he gave himself up for her. This is unreserved love. He is commanding the husbands to love their wives in an unreserved way. It's feeding 5,000s love. It's healing sick people love. It's hanging out with sinners love. It's washing feet love. It's crown of thorns love. It's forgiving them love. It's Golgotha love. It's loving the wife that doesn't deserve it. Loving the wife when she doesn't deserve it. That is sacrificial love. So he says that first. That's what husbands are supposed to love that way. Second, they're supposed to love in a sanctifying way. Sanctifying. Sanctifying means that word. It's a big churchy word. Basically what it means is I'm trying to be more like Jesus trying to follow Jesus, trying to live like Jesus, okay? So the question becomes, 
Is the husband's greatest desire that his wife becomes perfectly conformed to Jesus Christ? The wife should be becoming more like Christ. And and this is the painful question to ask. And I know some of us in this room, it's really hard to ask because, because it maybe breaks our heart just a little bit. The question is this, is my wife more like Christ because she's married to me or is she more like Christ in spite of me? That's a deep question for for a husband to ask. And remembering, too, what my friend said, what a beautiful thing to begin praying over your children, for for your children to be husbands like this, for your children to marry husbands like this, right? Sacrificial, sanctifying, and thirdly, that husbands are to love their wives in a satisfying way. Verse 29 uses the word nourish or cherish. He is to provide for her every need. Listen, I, it is hard for me. This part is hard because I know there are some broken hearts in this room. I know that. I'm going to share with you one of my favorite quotes ever, and I say it all the time and I apply it to everything. But I want to tell you this before I say that. Um, your job is not to teach him how to love. Your job is the part we talked about before. That's your part, to be a helper, to point him to Jesus by the way you love and support. That's your job. You're to leave this to Jesus because guess what? He is the God of the universe and he is a miracle maker and a promise keeper. And if you are in a place right now where you're saying, I don't have a husband that loves like that, let me ask you this. Are you making it easier for him to do it? That's a hard question to ask. Whether you are married to a believer or a non-believer, I want you to think about that. Are you making it easier for him to love you this way? The quote, three things I cannot change. Does anybody remember this one? The past, the truth, and you. There are three things I cannot change. The past, the truth, and you. Anne Lamott said that. She's, a, she's an author. And I love that she says that because I so want to change everybody, except I forget that God's going, hey, Chris, I need to change you. Don't worry about changing him. Ask God, what are you doing to change me? You know, um, in our leader meeting, one of our, one of our leaders brought up the fact that um, she looked up the word rib. Did anybody look up the word rib this week? Me neither, because I'm like, duh, I know what a rib is. Okay, but she looked it up, and this was so pivotal for me. This was a huge moment for me. It's, it, it, a rib is articulated in pairs, and its job is to protect. And listen to this. Its job is to serve and support or strengthen a structure. How did God create woman? From dust? From a rib. Could God have chosen to create woman from an earlobe? Yeah, he's God, guys. Hello, whatever. I, I, I never thought about that once in my whole life, that God chose to create wives from a rib, from something that strengthens and supports and protects. And it doesn't say uh, strengthens, supports, and protects only when he's good and he loves me this way. It doesn't say that, does it? Are you making it easier for him to do this? If you are a wife, are you making it easier for him to do this? But Christians, um, the question becomes this. If, if Christian husbands and wives have the power of the Holy Spirit to enable them, why do so many marriages fail? Anybody want to know the answer to that question? Me too. Well, I'll tell you what I do know, that the root of most marriage problems is sin. And you know what the root of most sin is? Selfishness. Dustin, he's one of our pastors on staff. I love how he teaches the idea of marriage covenant. And he says this. He says, when you get married and choose to get married, a husband and wife get married, it's not a contract, it's a covenant. A contract is something that you, you two people sign when you're selling a house or whatever. And basically it's like, I'm going to give you this if you do this. But if you, don't do, if you don't give me the house, I ain't giving you the money, right? It's like a thing. You got to, one has to do the other one. You know what a covenant is? I'm going to do this even if you do nothing. That's what marriage is. And that's the hard part, right? How am I submissive to someone who doesn't deserve it? I turn the question around on you. How is he to love someone who doesn't deserve it? Like Jesus did, right? Well, the illustration, don't miss it. Paul is not just sharing the picture of this perfect marriage, which, understand, he's sharing the picture of a perfect marriage to make us feel lacking or less than, or to give us ammunition to torture our current, past, or future spouses. He's not doing it for that reason. He's painting the perfect picture of Jesus and the church. He's making us understand this is how much you are loved. 
Verse 32 says it's a great mystery. Marriage is a sacred reflection of the magnificent and beautiful mystery of the union between Messiah and his church. This union completely unknown until the New Testament. Completely unknown until Jesus came and corrected everything. You're loved sacrificially with perfect sanctification with satisfaction that only comes through Jesus. Well, he moves into this section on children. Uh, who, who doesn't love talking about parenting? Me? I don't love it. Um, but anyway, <laughs> verses 6, I mean, excuse me, chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. We're going to move quickly. But he gives um, some very specific uh, words, commands about authority and about submission when it comes to parents and children, doesn't he? Don't stop listening if you're not a parent. And here's why. You ready? Those of you who are not parents, I want you to hear me on this. There are functionally fatherless children in this world, and the numbers would astound you. I started looking up statistics, and I thought I'd share it with y'all, but it was so depressing I couldn't even do it. Every ethnicity, every economical and social background, every religious group, the numbers are insane. The number of children that are in our communities that are being raised without fathers, okay? So if they're being raised without fathers, they're being raised without a lot of things. They're missing a lot of things. So my question is, are there kids? Do you know? Raise your hands if you know any kids. Thank you. See how this is going? It's working out, right? You don't have to be a parent to understand that there is need. There are need for people that, that kiddos that have no parents. There are need for kiddos that, that are your nieces or your nephews or your neighbors or your friend's kids. Let me tell you this. I have a 16-year-old daughter. Should we stop and pray real quick? <laughs> no. She's the coolest ever, actually. But let me tell you, I came to a place a few years ago where I realized my voice wasn't, well, it's still loud, but, but she, wasn't, she was hearing it like Charlie Brown's parents, right? Like, wah, 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 wah. like she wasn't hearing anything. You know who she hears? Other women. Other godly women that God has put in her life. And that was a heartbreaking slash amazing moment where I realized that there are other people feeding into my kid that didn't give birth to her, Okay mentors and people who choose to impact and influence her life. Hey, have you ever heard of Young Life? Have you ever heard of Young Lives? Have you ever heard of Capernaum? These are all opportunities where we in this room can walk alongside young people and show them who Jesus is. If you have any, you want to know about that, you find Molly afterward and she will give you information about it. Understand this. If you're not a parent now, if you're a grandparent, you don't have kids in your home, you are still an influencer. You are still an impactor. And so this part matters. So off my soapbox. Um, he goes and he talks first to children, right? Directly to children. He gives them two specific commands. One is an action and one is an attitude. The first is obey your parents. And we all love, we do want to cross-stitch that on a pillow, amen? Put it in the kids' room. Obey your parents. It's an action. Listen, d- disobedience is natural. We've, we've established that, right? It comes naturally. We don't have to teach that. But what, what Paul is trying to help these children, and remember, you are also children. Everyone in this room, we are children. We still have parents somewhere out in the world. We're still living in obedience to these commands. That we're to obey God as if it were, we're to obey parents as if it was God himself. Wow, right? It's that umbrella idea. It's that, you may have heard the idea before where, where God has this beautiful umbrella that he's protecting us, kind of like I was protected from the, from the rain and the hail. He's got this umbrella over me. And if I stay within his instruction and, and obedience to him, then I'm, I'm cool. I'm protected. It's the same idea with a parent. If I get to do that, I'm also, I have this umbrella over me that's the Lord. I have an umbrella I'm holding over my kid. If my kid steps outside of that obedience, then he's going to get wet, right? It's the same thing. And so this action he's telling them, he's saying you need to obey your parents. The second thing is an attitude. He says you're to honor your father and mother. Now, honoring your father and mother, as parents, we can never allow or ignore disrespect. We can't, we can't do it. It, it, this, this particular command appears five other places in the New Testament alone, and it's the first law governing, governing human relationship in Exodus 20 in the Ten Commandments. You know that? It's the first law governing human relationships. Because God needs us to understand that this is important. Because you know why? Honoring starts like this. Pouty lips when they're two years old, you think that's real cute? Well, it's cute to you. It's actually not cute to the rest of us. I just want to get a little FYI. (laughs) Well, a little pouty kid at two, super cute, right? Well, at five, it becomes a spoiled tantrum. And at 12, it becomes repulsive eye rolls and door slams. And at 16, it can be destructive and even deadly. It's scary. 
starts somewhere. That's that disobedience. It's the attitude. Parents, we can't allow it. Well, he, he, he moves into the idea that parents, mentors, influencers, we have responsibility as well, don't we? He says specifically in verse 4, and when he says the term fathers, that doesn't mean just the fathers are in charge. It means he's, he's speaking directly to the head of the household, if you will. He's not meaning that, that wives aren't to, to be a part of this. So just understand he really does mean both here. But he, he, he says two things. He starts, number one, don't provoke or exacerbate. Exacerbate? Exasperate your children. Don't provoke it's, it's, it's this thought that, um, that we're not to do things that were outside of what God has intended for us to make our kids um, get crazier. Amen? Crazier. But don't misunderstand authority and discipline with dominance and discouragement. Because authority and discipline is critical. We're seeing the pattern. He's laying the pattern out for us. Those are things that are important. But instead, dominance and discouragement, a lot of times we, we, we go down that road, don't we? I don't know. Um, I don't know where you are as a parent, but I will tell you this: when I kind of checked myself on this, I'm like, "What does this mean in Chris' world? What does this mean?" Well, you know what it means in my parenting world. I have teenagers, and so a lot of times I start turning into a teenager when I'm parenting, and it is super ugly. Sometimes I start rolling my eyes, and sometimes I'm super sarcastic, and sometimes I raise my voice, and sometimes I withhold encouragement, and sometimes I avoid them. And sometimes I don't set good, healthy boundaries because I'm hurt. And then that creates kids that are provoked to anger. And that's on me, man. That doesn't mean I'm not to be authoritative and, and a disciplinarian. It doesn't mean that at all. And so, in fact, he even says that in the next section. He gives us the action. Do bring them up in systematic discipline and instruction. Here's a question I have for you. When you're thinking through discipline and instruction as a parent, as a mentor, as a person that's impacting the lives of a child, ask yourself some questions. If you start getting concerned, am I outside of what God wants me to do in this situation? I have three practical questions for you to ask yourself, and they are this. Number one is whatever you're doing in the, in the course of discipline and instruction, is it unjust? Is it unjust? Well, but, but it doesn't mean, I'm not asking if it's painful. Or uncomfortable. Because sometimes justice is painful. Amen? Justice is mostly painful when you're the one who deserves justice. Right? So don't get upset if you, if you go back to that, yeah, but my kid's provoked and I, I, ex I exasperated my child. Well, no, maybe you just gave them just punishment and they're unhappy about it. Has God ever done that to you? Yeah, right? The second question, who's in charge? Who's in charge? Um, if you're a parent or a mentor or an influencer, are you, are, are, are you guiding and directing children this way? Are you asking questions? Let me, let me give you a little piece of advice. Take the word okay out of your vocabulary. Young moms, do you hear me right now? You take the word okay out of your vocabulary. No more of this. You want a snack, okay? You want to go to bed, okay? Right? Like, don't ask them that because what are they going to say? No. Duh. I don't want to nap. I don't want to sit. I mean... You can't ask questions. You have to have authority. Authority and submission is biblical. You can use that. Put that on a pillow. It is. Take out the question marks. Take out the word okay. Oh, okay. The third is this. Where is this discipline rooted? Is it rooted in the Lord or is it rooted in comfort and impatience and frustration and revenge or avoidance? What, what is it rooted in? Ask yourself that question. All of those things are what, what Paul's trying to help them understand. Is like, look, guys, you are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you're filled with the Spirit, you have to live it out this way. And it's not always easy. The marriage thing, not easy. Parenting thing, not easy. Can I get an amen? Amen. Well, luckily for Chris, we're, we're out of time. So I don't even get to go over the slaves thing. But I do want to say a couple of quick things before we close and head out. I want you to understand something about this section. It is literal for the times that they were encountering. Okay, literal for what was going on. You had non-Christian and Christian, probably, slave owners and slaves. It was the way the culture was working. Does it mean that it was the right way that the world should work? No. But that's the way it was. So Paul was addressing it specifically at the time. He knew that there were believers that were in these situations. Think about being in a work situation that's unfair and you have unjust leadership. And you're having to work and you're supposed to work hard and do all these things. His point here is this. That even if your employer doesn't deserve your respect, 
in your own right, it should nevertheless be given to him with genuine sincerity as though you're serving Christ himself. Hard truth. Just like the marriage, just like the parenting, it's hard. He was trying to help them understand that you are in a situation right now. And I'm going to say this because as I was going through this, I was talking to my husband about it. And we were laughing. We're like, boy, there's tons of parts of your life where you're the slave. And then there's sometimes when you're the slave owner. Amen. And you're looking at life and you're, everything's unfair and terrible and you're treated poorly. And everybody's just stepping all over you. And sometimes you're the one doing the stepping. And so Paul's trying to make them understand. God sees you both the same. You both have the same value. You both are upheld to the same principles the six words that matter and then we'll close the six words that matter are in verse 9 and and they are this there is no partiality with him there's no uh, seven words or something I don't even know there's no partiality with him he doesn't see anything differently whether you're the slave or the master he remembers you he has no favorites well we're going to close, and um, I just want you to think about this. As you walk out of here today, ask yourself this question. Ask yourself this question when you're pulling out of the parking lot, when you're, when you're dealing with an unloving husband, when you're watching a marriage of somebody that you love desperately, when you're trying to impact the lives of kids, when you're working in an unfair environment. Ask yourself this, what is my life filled with? Am I filled with the Holy Spirit? Because... I can't change the past, the truth, or that guy, but I can change Chris. Is my life filled with the Holy Spirit, or is it filled with busyness, seeking approval of other people, food, drink, drugs, any other numbing agents you can think of? Is it, is it filled with climbing ladders of success and status and satisfaction? Is it filled with comparisons and contrasts to the girl sitting next to me, or maybe the girl that was me 20 years ago? Am I filling my life with insincere facades on, on Instagram like filters? Or, or am I looking to, to just overserve by caretaking and service? Those are good things. But do I do them to fill me? Am I paralyzed with these ways that the world tries to fill me up when the only thing I need is the Holy Spirit to fill me so that I can go out and live in joyfulness, thankfulness, and submission and show the world who Jesus is? What are you filled with? And, and Jesus loves you. He loves you. He loves you with a sacrificial love, with a sanctifying love, with a satisfying love. Do you make it easy for him to do it? I'm going to pray like a super fast prayer. And God's going to love it. It's going to be so fast. Ready? God, we love you. Thank you for sending Jesus. Amen.